respect to the people of the Woi Wurrung and Bun Wurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands the SIN office and studios stand. SIN Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. SIN Media also acknowledges the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which SIN partner organisations stand. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm at the honours next year and that means I'm going to become a writer in the future and that means I'm going to become a disabled writer. Today we are going to talk with some disabled writers and ask about their experiences. And now we are going to talk with some disabled writers about their experiences working in the writing industry, writing freelance and writing for specific companies. We're going to talk about the barriers they have faced and how they have fought them. And up first, we have Laura Penatuzzo. Penatuzzo uses she, her pronouns, a disabled writer living in Wurundjeri country. Her words have appeared in various places, including Link Disability Magazine and The Age. Laura is also a member of the Victorian Disability Advisory Council. So how do you feel that your disability has influenced your writing? So I think um, my disability has influenced my writing in an enormous way. So I would almost go so far as to say that my disability is um, inextricable from my writing in the sense that if I'm writing fiction, um, all of my characters, um, whether deliberately or not, tend to have psychosocial disability. Um, I think because um, as much as I'm fictionalising things, um, I am still viewing the world through my own eyes. Um, I'm writing and creating a world um, through my own, I guess, lens of that world. So what that means is that, um, you know, my characters will often share like anxieties with me or um, just have anxiety that manifests in different ways. Um, but also I think I noticed a few years ago that um I was writing a manuscript where a character um, was walking over like uneven ground. Um, and instead of describing the actual like area or the ground or the scenery, I was kind of focused on her experience of navigating that uneven ground without falling. Um, just because that's always my experience. Um, so I think I'm kind of in some ways consciously trying to decouple my disability and my writing. Um, to kind of deliberately write able-bodied characters or characters that can do things that I can't, um, just as a way of stretching my creativity and my writing chops, so to speak. But in terms of writing nonfiction and memoir, it's a very similar thing in the sense that most, um, if not all, of my memoir is influenced by either my disability or ableism that I've experienced as a consequence of that disability. So, yeah, there really is a huge... Um... So thank you very much, Laura, for that answer. And now we're going to talk about what we are writing. Personally, I tend to write plays for theatre productions, and I've also recently gotten into writing more long-form articles, such as long-form articles that would be written for places like The Conversation or The Atlantic. And I think as an historian, it opens up many doors of um, more long-form history articles. Similarly would have been written for similar organisations, maybe The New York Times or The ABC. I try to stick away from a lot of for-profit news organisations purely on the grounds that I feel that the opportunities and the accessibility of not-for-profit reflect the values that I want to portray in my writing. So we have Laura. 
Now, you're also working in a career that I really love. You're a writer. Um, so tell us about your writing. What sort of writing do you create and what is your favourite thing that you have written? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I write a mixture of fiction and nonfiction. So lately I've started getting into uh, writing bits of memoir. Um, and I've also been working on um, a few manuscripts, so like novel, um, novel-length pieces of writing um, that I hope to um, edit and um, one day submit for publication. Um, a long way away, but you know, eventually. Um, and yeah, the, my favorite thing that I've written by far um, is a piece that I had published um, in SBS a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was all about um, my favorite person in the whole entire world, um, which is my nonna. Um, she is 92 years old. Um, and it was about how, um, like, the bond that she and I have um, and how that's kind of shaped me um, and helped me kind of understand my own disabilities and also, I guess, feel and cultivate a greater sense of self-acceptance. Um, because she's always offered me that self-acceptance and showed me that I'm worthy of love through just the unconditional ways that she has loved me for my whole life. Um, and I think that is just the most important thing I've ever written because it feels like a testament and a tribute to her, um, to the person that she is and the relationship that we have. And thank you so much, Zoe. I can really resonate with a lot of what you have just said. I also have a nuna and an oma, and that was quite an emotional and interesting sort of tribute that you made. And I think that I need to start thinking about also tributes I will make, whether or not they be private tributes or tributes that I will sort of make more public. And I think that it's also very important to talk about how organisations like SBS and ABC really do make a lot of media that is aimed towards and inclusive of disabled people. And I feel that when you go into the media, it's not friendly. Um, a lot of the organisations can be very, very um, hard, inaccessible and preference people who are not disabled. But when you go into public or semi-public organisations, like SBS and the ABC, it just makes you feel more comforting that our public broadcasting organisations are such trailblazers and have given a voice to so many marginalised people and uh, organisations that a lot of disabled people feel more safe working at. And I know people who have worked for the ABC and SBS and they've found it to be a really positive experience. And unlike SIN, which is unpaid and volunteer run, and of course is very enjoyable to work at, it makes me feel comfortable that there are places that are going to be more accepting of me. Even though radio and um, journalism isn't really my main forte, I just feel that I can be more confident knowing that there is a place for me there. And, I and up be- next we have Zoe Simmons, who's also going to talk about writing with us. So tell us about your writing. So what sort of writing do you create? Uh, so I do lots of kinds of writing. Um, I started out as a journalist. I did a Bachelor of Journalism at the University of Wollongong a couple of years ago. Um, I originally wanted to be an author, but I figured journalism might be better for job prospects. Um, still hard, though. <laughs> um, but I've dabbled in 
many areas of writing. So I do my freelance journalism now. So I've written for many, many news outlets and magazines, um, which is amazing. Um, I also run my own copywriting and editing business. So I help a lot of businesses and organizations with their writing and editing. Um, it might be you know, helping them write a report or helping them write blogs or websites or brochures or bios or literally anything that needs words. I help with. Um, I've also dabbled in poetry. I got some poems published recently and I'm going to have some more published and um, I've been in a couple of books. Uh, one was about ethical journalism, which is Kathy Devine's 2019 book, um, Golden Age Politics. I also have two poems in Tea with My Monster by Beyond the Vale Press and a chapter about my community's survival in the Black Summer bushfires, as well as how journalism helps not only my community, but helps me cope with my trauma. Um, in occupational therapies, Occupational Therapy Australia is doing our best. Um, so I do lots of writing. I write speeches as well. Uh, basically anything with words I'm pretty keen on. Um, I guess I just like creating things that can make a difference in whatever capacity that might be, whether it's, you know, taking down a wrongdoer or pointing out something that needs to be changed, raising awareness about barriers or things that we experience or, you know, celebrating something that needs to be celebrated or just helping someone remember that they're not alone and they are worthy, especially if they're, you know, feeling not great in their mind battles. So I also do writing um, to a lesser extent but has recently been dabbling in journalism. Um, I mainly write plays for theatre. I know that is rather interesting sort of area to go into and is not particularly as well known as other forms of writing, but I do write the scripts of plays for theatre. Um, unfortunately, um, this is, a, of course, a very limiting area, dis disabled or not, and I also struggle to actually have anyone take on my writing and... Um, applications for plays often just swamped and swamped all theatres just constantly just full of people who they want to take on and they take on maybe out of the hundreds of applicants, maybe 10. Wow, that's really competitive. I also have started doing a bit more dabbling in journalism. I have, I unfortunately um, have had a lot of my things fall through and I also do directing of plays as well. So that's another area that I particularly work in and it's sort of through doing all this radio stuff I've gotten into journalism and now music journalism and music promotion. That was Zoe Simmons who is a disabled copywriter and author and she's currently in the process of writing a book on her town survival in the black summer bushfires and we're just here to talk about the struggles that come with being a disabled writer entering into the industry as much as being a disabled considering that most of the writing I plan on going into is not this type of writing, it is writing for the stage, writing for the screen. Um, there are a whole new, basically a whole new amount of challenges that I have to go into. And it's just, it's really stressful because at uni they just, no one really cared. It was just you get published in Lot's Wife and that's good. But in the real world, it isn't like as, I'm going to say that where I've worked in the past, the volunteer organisations have been... They're very positive organisations, but unfortunately, volunteer organisations tend to have a more positive culture than non-volunteer organisations. 
And I think that the stage and writing for stage and screen brings an, a new amount of challenges that have to be dealt with. And that's a really big issue in my opinion. And it's one that I don't feel that I am prepared to challenge right now. I just think that it's going to be really... The world is going to be really toxic in the future and I don't think I'm going to get the opportunities that I, I deserve because of my disability and that is really challenging. And now it's time for a bit of shameless promotion. I have a new podcast coming up on Sin. I've been it's been the works a while, but due to um, getting into honours and a few other issues, um, I don't. I unfortunately haven't really done as much as I would have liked. It's one of the you know those um, videos on YouTube, the short form documentaries about mysteries. It's sort of like that, but sort of in the style of a true crime podcast, but focusing on very obscure Australian history and I hope it is very very successful so that's a bit of sh- sh- self, um, shameful self-promotion that I have to put on for a show now. There are just so many barriers preventing disabled people from entering into or accessing what is considered to be well you know the top I've recently become interested in this place called All Souls College in Oxford. It has the world's hardest exam. Um, so basically, you do an exam for this place in Oxford, this college. And it's an academic research institution, and it does a lot of like humanities and social sciences typed research. Everyone who gets in becomes a research fellow. It's not for like undergrad students it's for postgrad students or even in some cases post doctoral students so you have your phd you just are now doing further study to get in you have to complete what is known as the hardest exam in the world where you have about the exam lasts for about 12 hours and there are you have to write a number of essays on a variety of philosophical topics and the purpose of this exam is to sort of test if you have if you can reach a high level of theoretical thinking that is required for very, very prestigious academic work. Now, this exam is incredibly hard because it is very open-ended and there are, it's not like there are no wrong answers. They just want the best answers. So it's not like a maths exam where it's, you know, this plus this equals this. It is a theoretical exam where you are to write your own interpretation of something and this is like, if you want to become the highest level writer that you can, this is where you want to go. But, you know, if you want to be an academic, you ought to start small. So, you know, next year we have honours. That's going to be fun. I hope my supervisor realises that, that they've signed up for me. And then you have masters, then you have PhD, then you have post, you know, postdoctoral study. And then you finally can become a professor of some sort. And then you have the rogue units on the internet who think that they are ten times smarter than people with that much academic volure. Um, I can tell you for a absolute start that I think when it takes that much study to become an academic, and it's not like, you know, you just, you just do the master's piece, you have to get scores in those subjects. You can't just submit an essay. You have to submit an essay. Like an essay that's been properly written to do this. So now that I've completed the undergraduate, true undergraduate, not the honours component of my degree, I can now enter into the hallowed halls of wankerdom. 
Because it's not just like, you know, you say, oh, I've got a fancy piece of paper that says I can work, say smart things. No, having a university degree means you have put in the effort to, to do that. They don't just give it to you for showing up to class occasionally. You have to actually put the work in. And I can tell you that I definitely learned a lot of stuff at university. I earned an absolute, a lot of stuff. Like I didn't know, I, I thought at uni not knowing how to write an essay and not knowing how, like, you know, a lot of this stuff actually worked. How a lot of, you know, how writers actually operate. And then I came out knowing exactly how they operate. I learned a lot of stuff at university and I can genuinely say that it's made me a better person. It's made me much smarter and it's made me much more critical of a thinker. It's made me a really, really critical and a really, really understanding thinker. And I genuinely think I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't actually had this experience of going to university. I think it's also just the diversity of the world now. I'm good at writing essays about topics such as history and theatre and stuff like that. Other people are good at other things, and there's nothing really wrong with that. And you can def- definitely have a huge breadth of knowledge without having gone to a specific place to study it. It also makes me angry that there are plenty of other people with disabilities who have not had the experience, even though they would have definitely been able to complete the work and get the knowledge to become students. And it makes me angry there are still schools that they're like Southern Autistic School and Berendale Special School, which do not offer these same opportunities to people who genuinely can probably do these sort of things. And whilst there are definitely alternative entry pathways into university, it is actually quite hard to get into university without getting the ATAR for it. You have to go through a lot of hoops in a lot of places to get where you want to go. Now we're back on air with copywriter Zoe here on Raise a Platform on Sin. So what is the what is so far the favourite thing you have ever written? That's a hard one. I mean, I feel honoured with every single person that feels safe enough to share their stories with me and that I'm able to give people words that may not necessarily have them themselves and help, I guess, highlight their experiences in a way that feels authentic to them. That is always so valuable. Um, in terms of journalism, I think my favourite article I've written was one for Body and Soul. It was called uh, It's Complicated, A Love Letter to My Mobility Aids. And it was all about my experiences of you know, living with chronic pain and chronic illness and feeling like I couldn't use mobility aids, feeling like you know, I wasn't disabled enough or that you know, I should push through and all those other really ableist things. And you know, eventually I tried a wheelchair one night and it was such a beautiful moment. I actually cried because I was able to move without additional pain and it just was the most amazing experience. But, you know, when I told people about that, they were like, oh, that's so sad. I'm so sad to see you like that. I'm like, why? This has helped my life so much. And there is so much stigma against mobility aids, especially for people with invisible and dynamic disabilities. And, you know, you don't feel like you can use them, um, especially, I think, it's hard when you are an ambulatory wheelchair user, for example, because, you know, I get quite afraid that, you know, if I move my legs, will they yell at me and not understand that lots of people need mobility aids for so many reasons? Um, so I wrote that story and basically that I've accepted them into my life, both with a walking stick and a wheelchair sometimes, and that they've helped my life so much. And I wish people could see them like I do. And um, 
I think it's been really beautiful because a lot of people have reached out to me and said that that article really helped them. Even non-disabled people when they've been injured being like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm allowed to use that thing that makes my life easier. And I think that's really important and powerful. And it makes me feel really nice that sharing my own journey can help others and theirs. Um, although I am also really proud of the book I'm writing on the Lexman bushfires and my experiences as a disabled journalist, just because of what it, means to the people and the stories they've they've told me things that you know these are survivors of the bushfires on the south coast of new south wales and some of these people haven't told these stories to anybody else they've trusted me with them and they tell me how much it means just have someone talk to talk to and listen and care because our community has been forgotten after the fires i think like most communities that experience natural disasters eventually people move on to the next thing even when your community is still suffering so the fact that i'm able to highlight that is really powerful and i'm really hoping i can get a literary agent or a publisher or just somehow get it out into the world it's just very hard with limited energy <laughs> i don't really have a favorite thing i've written i tried writing a play in first year uni and it wasn't particularly successful as in it wasn't produced but i liked it really much um it was about um basically about a girl who um sort of didn't have the best home life who went to a rather prestigious university in the uk and sort of found a rather um i'm going to say really toxic support network over there and the purpose of it was to sort of understand how those sort of home lives can sort of lead to that sort of um sort of coping mechanisms and sort of so that so far has been my favorite thing that i've written i just feel that it was such an important topic to talk about and i don't think it's a topic that gets very much airtime and i think that's why we sort of um chose to do it in that sort of way and here's some really charming news coming out of the UK. Have a read this. This is called um, Oaf is banned from Royal Opera House for booing singer age 12. This mystery man shouted rubbish at a child star as he sung an aria on opening up of Handel's Elsina. So basically, um, there's a 12-year-old opera singer in the UK who's been at the Royal Opera, which is very, very prestigious in the UK. And, and he got heckled, which is just really really disgusting and whilst this isn't technically a disability issue um, I think it sort of ties into a lot of how marginalised people in entertainment and media are sort of treated I, I, can't, I can't actually find any recording of this guy singing so I don't really know, you know if, he, if he doesn't know how to sing but if you're in the Royal Opera you are guaranteed to be a five star singer and also, he's 12, so that's a, who, who really cares how talented he is? He's, he's a 12-year-old who is doing a solo at the most prestigious opera house in the world. Even if he's terrible, you just cheer for him because that is an achievement. He's been given the opportunity of a lifetime at a really young age. And I know people who are a, f a few more zeros on 12, and they haven't had any opportunities to be in the Royal Opera and they're decent singers. So this kid obviously is very talented and so they and this man who was shouting at him, he shouted rubbish and it started booing and laughing at him. And they've banned him for life, which is really good because 
in a way, a lot of people who are banned for life from organisations can often be disabled because they just don't understand how stimming and how self-soothing behaviours work. But this guy is actually representing negative and t- toxic attitudes in society and they've banned him, which is really good because these sort of people need to be told the society isn't going to stand for their inappropriate and disgusting behaviour anymore that reflects the society that is toxic and dangerous. So I'm very, very happy this guy has been banned from this opera. And I really think it is about time that people who bully, and, you know, abuse and assault autistic people are, you know, removed from, you know, removed from societal organisations like this. And places like theatres, schools and similar such places take a stand and start expelling and permanently banning those who heckle and abuse autistic or obviously disabled people. So yeah, the Royal Opera has a tick of approval from Razor Platform now. So here's a really funny story that affects autistic people. In my opinion, particularly like my, affects me, I do wear a lot of older clothes, vintage clothes, 60s clothes, and here is this one. So Ripley's Museum in um, I think New York was refused was choosing to lend Kim Kardashian the Marilyn Monroe dress until Kris Jenner got involved and... <laughs> well, basically, um, this Kim Kardashian person, who's this famous um, um, celebitant, um, wanted to wear Kim Kardashian, uh, Marilyn Monroe's Happy Birthday Mr. President dress to the Met Gala. And, well, my people would agree that probably that was a bit risky for the dress because I'm not saying anything but um, fabric um, is very delicate. You can't really um, you know, expect 50 or 60 year old fabric to not have decayed to the point where if it's moved it pulls very easily and this dress was made out of a very rare sort of chiffon fabric and well, pretty much, um, it, it it ripped. Like it, it's it's a bit um, damaged around the areas. Um, and well, the dress is currently ruined now because um, it it went out in public when it shouldn't have done so. The funniest part about the whole thing is that they actually had Kim Kardashian have an exact repli- replica made of this dress um, that um, that she wore afterwards. So the whole thing was for nothing. But I've recently decided to purchase a very rare historical dress. Not on this level, but it's a dress from 1964 with pictures of the Beatles' faces on it. It is as outlandish as you would expect it to be, and it is like the most ultimate autism purchase because it's like something I really love and I've become kind of fixated and obsessed with for the past few years now. And well, the thing is, if I ever wear that in public, that is a rather historical dress. There's one of them in the Victorian Albert Museum. And it's very, very delicate and very, very special. So I really think that, you know, when I'm starting to have all these historical dresses that I love wearing, I can't really wear them because they, once they're damaged, they're damaged. You can't ever get that again. It's not the only one of its kind in the world, but it's one of the rarest pieces of Beatles memorabilia you can buy. And it is, well, pretty historical. And I think that, like, you know, I want to wear it at, at some point in my life. But I don't really know, you know, how I'm going to wear it without damaging what is something that is quite historical and 
in my opinion, quite special. When I work when I graduate university, just walk down to get my degree, holding it, um, you know, wearing it because I just think that it is um, something else. It is, you know, it is something special to have that dress and um, to, you know, when you graduate university, um, people were talking about, you know, this is a video I found on the internet of Clementine Ford talking about, you know, why don't we celebrate things like university graduations in the same way we celebrate weddings? So, yeah, I've essentially got something similar to a, a sorry, wedding dress that I'm going to be walking down and getting my degree. And that's like, you know, that is pretty special because that means that now I'm able to work in the, I'm able to get the big bucks. And I think that, you know, I'm somebody who loves to wear my special interest and just sort of show it off to people. And I love doing it through the, through the method of wearing these crazy outfits. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of interesting that, you know, am I ever going to stop by wearing, like, really, really historical stuff just because it's kind of cool? I really don't know.